Hey everyone, and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington Church of Christ. I hope this will inspire you and help you grow in your faith as we see God move through His Word. Please stay tuned after to hear more about how you can help partner with us. Enjoy the message. I have a secret I can let you in on about the impeachment proceedings. You might have heard about these, they're going on. And don't answer this question out loud, just think in your mind. Uh, are you, uh, would you consider yourself, and don't say it out loud, we don't need to start any fights in here. No fisticuffs among the church family. Think in your mind, are you a Democrat or Republican? Which side do you align yourself with politically? And then I can tell you, once you have that in your mind, don't let anybody else know, I can tell you a secret about the impeachment proceedings that uh, I think is lost on some of our nation. No matter what happens, in or out, whoever you align yourself with cannot bring peace to our country. Only Christ can bring peace to our country. Only Christ can provide stability for our country. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican. If you focus on one political party or another, you are aligning yourself with a political party that cannot do what only God can do. The people of Israel, a thousand years before Jesus, 3,000 years ago, were facing a similar problem. They were being hard-pressed on every side from nations that were more powerful than them. And the prophet Isaiah showed up, and he said, These are the words of God. And he told the king, Do not align yourself with this political power. He told every king he worked with, Do not align yourself with this political power, this political king. Do not entrust yourself to this king, because it will lead to your downfall. Only trust God. And so what did the kings of Judah do? Well, the king of Assyria would come, and Assyria was a menacing, powerful nation, and the kings of both Israel and Judah said, would you be our friend? We'll align ourselves to you for political gain and political capital, and you'll provide us protection. Exactly what God told them not to do. And then after Assyria wiped out Israel, the king of Judah said, well, maybe if we align ourselves with the king of Egypt... He's pretty powerful. Maybe he can protect us. And Isaiah the prophet said, Do not seek out any alliance politically with somebody else. Only trust God, and he will rescue you. And what did the king of Judah do? He went to every political king he could find that he thought might provide him with protection. And so the prophet Isaiah, he came and he did this speech giving warnings. And then he said, Okay, here's what's going to happen. God is going to bring about a purification of Jerusalem. And to purify Jerusalem, the sinners will be destroyed. People will be exiled. There will be a remnant that remains faithful, and they in the future will be brought back to continue on for with God's plan. I don't think that's very different than what is today happening. If you might have noticed, there's a conflict going on with some in our nation about who to side with. And I think God is calling us to repent and to entrust ourselves to Him. 
Now, you can choose a political party. You can choose to go one way or another. But you have to only entrust yourself to God for peace and protection and satisfaction for your soul. That's what Isaiah told the people of Judah. In fact, he wrote it in chapter 9 of Isaiah. He said this, For unto us a child will be born, a son will be given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, God is pretty hard to understand, pretty difficult to under comprehend. He is bigger than we are. He is far greater than he, we are. And his wisdom is beyond our ability to comprehend. Here's how we understand who God is. God gives us descriptions of himself, pictures that we can understand, names that we can focus in on. And if we use our reasoning and understanding on the pictures and images and names and description God gives us, we can finally maybe understand what God is talking about. And so when he says a child will be born, a son will be given, we can reason out what that means, and we look to Jesus because he was the child given, he was the son born to us. And then those descriptive terms, those names that he gives us, wonderful counselor, almighty God, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, those are names that we can focus in on, understand, and then we understand who God is. The more we understand God, the more we can entrust ourselves to him. The more we understand God, the more we can say, you know what, the things politically going on don't, don't matter as much as what they make it out to be because that is their God. They can't help it. You get in, enraptured in that. You know, I heard, um, a, I was listening to the radio, and I was listening to some of the hearings that were going on, and somebody shouted, you know, in anger. It was all anger. and, and uh, They said, these impeachment hearings are tearing our nation apart. You know, if I didn't have the radio on, I wouldn't even know anything about it. What's tearing my family apart is making sure my kids are in the place where they need to be and never seeing my wife in any, part of the, in any part of the week because we're all going in different directions. That's what's tearing my family apart, not the impeachment hearings. I wouldn't even know about it if I didn't listen to the radio or read the news. Turn off the radio, turn off the news, and the impeachment hearings will happen. We're not going to do anything with them. And, but I can entrust myself to God then. We following along here? Here's what Isaiah says. Isaiah chapter 9, a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulder. He will be called, wonderful counselor, we studied that a couple of weeks ago. He is, he needs no advisors, he is the counsel to us. He is a wonder of a counselor. He tells us how to live and what to do and how to be about our business. He even tells us what we should care about. He can change the desires of our heart. Mighty God, he is the great hero. He is greater than any God that you can associate yourself with, that you can connect to. And today we're going to look at the term and the description that Isaiah uses, everlasting father. Everlasting father. We're going to break that down and understand what those words mean to the best of our ability so that we can understand God. And so maybe put, perhaps we could entrust our entire being to him. Everlasting Father. Everlasting is this term that means he has always existed. He is uncreated. 
He is involved in the past and the present and the future. As far back as you could go in the past, God is there. And as far into the future you could go, God is there. This is how what everlasting means, eternal, forever. This is something we have no comprehension of because we can't experience it here on earth. We cannot understand what infinity is. I'll give you an example of mathematical infinity. We can, this is everlasting, this is eternal. How many numbers are there? Infinity, right? They just keep going. We can barely comprehend that. If you can think of a number and put as many digits as you want behind it, there's always going to be one more. What if you just take the even, even numbers, and you just have the even numbers? Well, how many is that? That's infinity. Because there's always going to be another even that comes. But mathematically, the even numbers are a lesser infinity than all the numbers. See how difficult it is to understand everlasting and eternal? We can't comprehend this except for what God tells us about himself. Except for how God describes himself. And in Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2, he kind of describes himself this way. He says this. Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. So however far you go back in the past, he's there. However far you go in the future, no matter what generation, you can seek out God. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Nothing was created without God. There is nothing that exists that God wasn't there before. He is uncreated, and everything after him is created. Even the little gods, gods with little g, the spiritual powers that these um, evil nations, Assyria and Babylon and Egypt were worshiping. And they had gods for everything, and they would give those gods names. And God said, he is the name above all names. He is the God who created the other gods. There is no spiritual power that wasn't created by God. But those spiritual powers that those nations were worshiping, those were the spirits that had rebelled and rejected God, just like humans had rebelled and rejected God. But God was there before. Because God is in the past and in the future, when Isaiah writes this prophecy... Nevertheless, chapter 9, verse 1, this is the chapter we've been looking at all month. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. God sees the darkness, the gloom, the despair. He sees our nation now with the anger and the disunity. He sees that. He says, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he was there. He humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, because he's there, now when Isaiah was writing this, Jesus Christ hadn't been born, he hadn't come to earth. But God was already in the future when it happened, just like he's in our future. In the future, Isaiah wrote, predicted, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. That's where Jesus did his ministry in Galilee. God saw that 700 years before Jesus arrived. He's in the past, he's in the future. He's in our past. And he's in our future. The people of Judah who heard this prophecy did not live to see it fulfilled. But by faith, they appropriated the promise for themselves. Let me go over that again too because this is really key for us to understand. 
there are some promises of God that we will not live long enough to see complete or fulfilled, but if we trust God that he's going to fulfill them, they become our promises as well. In fact, all the people of the Old Testament did not live to see the promise of Christ come back. This is why Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about this, um, this hall of fame of faith. All these characters from the scripture, all these characters from our past, how they trusted God and they trusted God and they trusted God and they heard that there was a better future, a promised land coming, a Messiah that would come, one greater than Moses, but in the form of Moses, a prophet, a priest, a king. And all of these people died before it happened. Here's how Hebrews 11 puts it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They trusted that God was going to be in their future. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Are you willing to admit that we don't belong here on earth, but our dwelling place, our citizenship, our allegiance is actually in heaven with God? And we will see his promises come true. They're coming true in Christ and they will continue to come true in Christ. But we may not live to see all the promises. In fact, we're guaranteed if Jesus doesn't come back, we're going to die on this world, in this earth. And we're going to go to the promised land, heaven. Unless Jesus comes back. So whose allegiance are we aligning ourselves with? The everlasting father who was and is and is to come? Or are we aligning ourselves politically here, family here? Okay, there's one alliance we need to get right, though. Clearly, Coca-Cola is better than Pepsi. Okay? <laughs> Who are you aligning yourselves with here? Our citizenship is in heaven. Can we be like these hall of faith, hall of fame faith of the past? who didn't live to see all the promises, but by faith, they trusted God. They appropriated those promises for themselves. They didn't get to see Christ. We lived and we heard about Christ. And we can live in Christ now. Because the everlasting Father who was in the past as far as we go and in the future as far as we can go means He is also in the present right now with us. Trusting God when you're not existing exactly getting what you want is called faith i just heard this in an interview uh, with a preacher from california and i like to think this notice my political alignment i like to think can anything good come from california but there's a preacher there that i really respect and he's a mentor of mine whether he knows it or not and he said living by faith is obeying what god tells you to do and i scratch my head and i think well that's right i trust god he said no no you don't understand he said, we often take calculated risks and we say we're living by faith. We're taking a leap of faith and we're doing something that God didn't tell us to do. That's not faith. That's a calculated risk. We're allowed to take calculated risks. In fact, Jesus says, whatever you do, count the costs. Some things are going to be really expensive. They're going to cost you a lot. Some things are not going to be worth the effort. But if you jump out in faith, and you do something that God didn't tell you to do, it's just a risk. You have to determine whether it's worth it or not. But if God tells you to do something, that is faith when you obey. So Abraham was told, take your son Isaac up to the mountain and kill him. 
Abraham obeyed. He took his son Isaac and he went up to the mountain and he prepared to kill him because he trusted God and just obeyed. That's faith. But if you go out on a limb on something God didn't tell you to do, that's not faith. That's just a risk you are taking. And Jesus says every risk you take, you should calculate the cost. But if Jesus tells you to do something, you should obey it. So Jesus says stuff like this. Forgive your enemies. Bless those who attack you. Those are things we obey and we just trust God that he's going to be here in our presence. Empower us to trust and obey and love and forgive. And he says when we do that, things are going to be different. He's in the past. He sees everything that led up to right now in the present. He sees the future. He knows what's going to come. And he says, trust me for right now. This was the call of Isaiah, and this is the call of Isaiah for us today. Trust God right now. In Matthew chapter 19, or 18, now I can't remember. Matthew 18 or 19, it says these very hard words. I'm going to turn to that chapter and make sure I'm getting it right. Okay, yeah, 18. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. That's a command that we're supposed to trust God with and obey. That would be faith. Here's what happened. Here's what usually happens. Somebody messes up and they do something they're not supposed to. And we don't talk about it. And we don't go to them. And we don't meet with them. And we don't say, hey, you know what? You're not really obeying what the scripture says. I'm worried about your soul. You're in danger of disobeying God. You've already disobeyed God. How can I help you? We don't do any of that. Because we're scared or we don't want to be uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. But God says obey. That's faith. 99% of the time. When I have seen somebody that I am in trouble with or is in trouble with me and gone to them face to face or they're in trouble with God and I go to them face to face and I have a conversation, everything works out really, really, really well. And 99% of the time when I feel too uncomfortable and I don't obey, things get worse. When we rely on ourselves, it spirals downward into gloom and darkness. This is what Judah was doing. They were relying on themselves. They were trying to rely on the king of Assyria and the king of Babylon and the king of Egypt. And it just spiraled down into darkness. But when we entrust ourselves to God by faith and we obey, things seem to work out for peace. He's here in the present. That's one of the names he gives for himself. He says, in Genesis, this is really cool, every time he did something really great for the history characters of Genesis, they would give God a name. They would say like uh, Jehovah Jireh, which is actually Yahweh Jireh. I can't even pronounce it. Our God is good. Our God is powerful. Our God is the sustainer. Our God is mighty. Every time God did something good for the characters of Genesis, they would give him a name. But in Exodus, Moses came to him and he says, who should I say is sending me? And this is where God gives Moses his name. This is how he describes himself. This is the first time in the Bible that God gives us a name for him. You know, in Egypt, they had all these gods. They had the God of the Nile and the God of the the land and the God of the frogs and the God of the storm. And they had all these gods with all these names. And Moses said, 
what God am I going to tell them sent me? And God says to Moses, this is the name he gives himself, I am that I am. I am the God who is. I am present with you. Our everlasting Father, who was with us in the past and who will be with us in the future, says, I am currently actively involved in your life right now. And I'm going to empower you if you trust me. I'll empower you to love. I'll empower you to forgive. I'll empower you to bring about justice. I'll empower you to obey. But you've got to trust me. This quality of God is his alone. There is none like him. He transcends. He's above. He's beyond time, space, and matter. And because he created time, space, and matter, he exists outside of time, space, and matter. And he exists within time, space, and matter. And that means he can manipulate time, space, and matter. He knows our past, he knows our future, and he is actively involved in our present. This is the everlasting part of everlasting father. My father-in-law was trying to explain to my son kind of how this works. My son is 16, my father-in-law is older than 16. My father-in-law asked my son this question. He said, Christian, are you wiser and smarter now than you were at 15? And my son said, yeah. He goes, will you be older, wiser? Will you be smarter and wiser when you're 18? Yes, yes. Will you be smarter and wiser at 25 than you are at 16? Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I'll be smarter and wiser at 25. He goes, will you be smarter and wiser at 30 than you are at 16? Because my son's 16 right now. Yes, I'll be older, I'll be wiser and smarter at 30 than 16, I hope. You know, we, there's always hope. My father-in-law looked at him, and he said, Do you think I'm smarter and wiser at my age than I was at 16? And my son said, Yes, but he's not making the connection yet. And then my father-in-law says, Well, why don't you listen to me? Because I'm older than 30, and I'm older than 40, and I'm older than 50, and I'm wi- I won't tell you. I'm wiser at every stage of life, and I'm smarter at every stage of life. So listen to me. God is everlasting, eternal. He's as far in the future as you can go, and he's as far in the past as you can go, and he's there. He is wisdom incarnate. And he says to us, Listen to me. I know what tomorrow brings. You don't have to be scared if you trust me. I know where you've been. You don't have to worry about that if you trust me. I am everlasting. Not only is he everlasting, ancient of days, wisdom incarnate, but he is also a description of father, everlasting father. Father here is a term for nourish or provide. How often does God nourish or provide for us? Well, he's everlasting. As far in the past you can go, he was there providing. As far in the future you can go, he's there going to provide for you. Nourishing, providing. Now remember, in the past, there were some who died before they received all the promises that they were guaranteed in Christ. If we continue on in this world, there will be some of us who will die before we receive all the promises guaranteed to us in Christ, unless Christ returns. That doesn't mean God's not providing for you or nourishing you. Our hope is in the resurrection, in the eternal life, when all the promises are fulfilled through Christ in us. 
That means sometimes we will suffer here on earth like Christ. And we will be betrayed here on earth like Christ. And we will not get everything we want here on earth like Christ. But because he's the everlasting father, he says the nourishment that we don't receive now is going to come at the resurrection if we trust him. But he does nourish. He does take care of us. He does sustain us in the wilderness like every good parent would do. David describes the wilderness. I think I have a picture of the wilderness in Israel. They still have wilderness in Israel. It's an actual physical place. This is where the Israelites were traveling through the wilderness, kind of a desert area and there's some shrubs and there's rocks and dirt and it's wilderness it's hard to survive there when david lived there he wrote this poem he wrote this song psalm 63 you god are my god earnestly i seek you i thirst for you you go uh my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water i've seen you in the sanctuary and behold your power and glory because your love is better than life my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Go back to that picture of the wilderness, please. Can you imagine being there and being thirsty and hungry? David knew what it was like to be thirsty and hungry. He lived in the wilderness. Israelites lived in the wilderness. David lived in the wilderness. Jesus came and he was taken out by the Spirit to live and fast in the wilderness for 40 days, becoming Israel all over again, but not falling to temptation. And so this description of being thirsty and hungry is a spiritual description of what our souls are. We need God to spiritually, a lot of times the Old Testament, the physical, pointed to the New Testament, what we're living in, spiritual. So in the Old Testament, there was physical, actual slavery. In the New Testament, it's spiritual slavery. In Israel, as they were in the wilderness, or David in the wilderness, or even Jesus in the wilderness, they actually had physical hunger and physical thirst that God provided for them. Heavenly bread called manna, water from the rock, where their thirst was quenched and their bellies were full. And Jesus comes along and says, I am the bread of life. I Come to me, all who are thirsty, and I will quench your thirst. So this wilderness picture is also a spiritual picture of our lives. It could be a physical place where you literally get thirsty and hungry, but it's often a spiritual place for us, waiting to fulfill your purpose in life waiting to enter the promised land, waiting to enter into rest, waiting while we have to endure temptation and fear of tomorrow. There's a type of wilderness within us that cries out and is hungry and thirsty. And Christ knows about these types of temptations. He was tempted. He was tempted to abandon the plan. He was tempted to disobey God. He was tempted to use his power selfishly instead of for what God had commanded him. Christ did not fully enter into his rest until after he died. Christ did not ascend back into heaven, the promised land, until after the resurrection. And since Christ knows what we're going through and has experienced every kind of temptation, he can sustain us spiritually to endure. He can sustain us because he knows what we're going through. He carries us and gives us strength even when we don't realize it. When we feel like Nothing is supporting us or nothing is holding us up. It's actually him holding us up, giving us breath and life and everything. And he says to trust him. One preacher said several handfuls of snack food will often satisfy our physical hungry when we've gone too long without eating any food. But what do you do 
And what do you turn to when you have a deeper emotional or spiritual hunger inside? We are designed for more than just temporary pleasure. We're designed to have that desire within us filled with eternity, everlasting nourishment from the Father. And we'll never find relief if we seek it through possessions or through people or through work or through food or even temporary pleasures on earth. Another preacher, I love this quote, the problem is our hearts are black holes of discontentment, devouring relationships and possessions all while screaming, I need more. We're always eating but famished, always drinking but never satisfied. And Jesus says, turn to me, trust me, and I will satisfy that spot in your soul that nothing else can satisfy. Why can he do that? Because Jesus is called everlasting father. He is from the past as far as you can go, and he's to the future as far as you can go. He can fit and fill that black hole of discontentment in your spirit because he's infinite. And we can't quite comprehend it, but we can feel it. After we reason to the best of our ability, he needs to satisfy our uh, reasoning and our intelligence, and he also satisfies us emotionally. What are you missing most in life? Are you missing family or friends or happiness? How are you filling that hole? Jesus says, fill that discontent with the everlasting Father. Well, how could we possibly do that? Well, he took that everlasting eternity and he brought it into humanity and became human. The God who created all of the universe, who can hold the universe in his hand, who is outside of time, matter, and space, and he can put all of it together and hold his hand, he entered into time, matter, and space and became small enough to fit inside a feeding trough called a manger, small enough to fit inside a human baby form. And he was fully human and fully everlasting father. This is how we can understand him. This is how we can turn to him. This is how we know that he knows what we're going through. If you love anything more than God, if you desire anything more than God, if you seek hard after anything more than God, you will never be satisfied. But if we seek to love God most through Jesus Christ, if we seek to be satisfied most with Jesus Christ, and we go after Jesus Christ harder than we go after anything in our life, all the while asking God, who is with us in the present, sustain me, reveal your love to me, empower me, allow me to live, we will be satisfied. He is available and will satisfy your soul. He will provide for you. He will nourish you. What could possibly give us more hope than to have our sinful souls forgiven, our sins removed completely, the judgment and wrath pulled away from us and placed on Christ on the cross. And then Jesus, with his resurrection, allows the eternal life of the Father to be placed inside of us by his Spirit, where we can be filled with joy and pleasures forever. Only in him do we find our future and our hope. And Jesus has made the Bible the storehouse of nourishing, living soul food. And this is how we seek after him. 
This is the first place where we go to find out about him and be nourished. And if we do anything more than what we read the Bible, we might be in danger of getting junk food for our souls. I know I watch more Netflix than I read my Bible. That's junk food for my soul. Temporary satisfaction that leaves me wanting more. Jesus never does that. Missionaries, Dick and Margaret Hillis, were in China during the Japanese invasion during World War II. Most of us don't realize that Japan also invaded China and had been since the 30s, 1930s. And they were a vicious, cruel enemy. And Dick and Margaret had been called, they felt called, commanded by God to go into China and be missionaries. They lived there, they had two children born to them while they were in the town of Shinkyo. The village was tense with fear and every day brought terrifying reports of a Japanese advance. At the worst possible time, Dick developed an appendicitis. And he knew his life depended on making the long journey by rickshaw to a hospital several miles away. And on January 15, 1941, Margaret watched him leave. Soon the Chinese colonel came with the news. The enemy was near and townspeople must evacuate. And Margaret shivered knowing that one, their one-year-old Johnny and two-month-old Margaret Ann would never survive as refugees. So she stayed put. And early the next morning, she tore a page from the wall calendar and read this passage of scripture that was there, Psalm 56, 3. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. And she made that her prayer all day long. I am afraid, Lord, and I trust you. And I wonder if her mind went back to those Old Testament stories, characters of the Bible, some who continued to trust in God and were still murdered. She said, I'm going to trust you no matter what happens. And the town emptied. And the next morning, Margaret was there feeling abandoned. And the next day on the calendar was Psalm 9, verse 10. Thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. She said, how could it be that the scripture on the calendar today, when I feel most abandoned, would tell me that God hasn't left me. He's here with me. He was here yesterday in my past. He'll be with me tomorrow, but he is here with me today. I will trust him. The next morning, she could hear gunfire in the distance and she worried about food for her children and the calendar verse was genesis 50 21 i will nourish you and your little ones she thought how could it be that the scripture for the day would be about nourishment for my food he is the everlasting father can he give me nourishment and she said lord i'll trust you and an old woman suddenly came to their house with a pail and this sounds delicious steaming goat's milk and another stranger arrived with a basket full of eggs. And all through the day, sounds of warfare grew louder. And during the night, Margaret prayed for deliverance. And the next morning, the calendar read Psalm 56, 9. When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. And she said, Lord, I'm crying out to you. Will you turn them back? How could this calendar know? Except God was in the past manipulating the events of all history to bring her the word she needed from the Bible to nourish her soul and give her confidence and give her endurance. The battle came closer and she didn't go to bed that night. 
Invasion seemed intimate, but she just kept praying. And then the next morning, all was quiet. And the villagers returned to their homes. And the colonel knocked on her door, and he said, for some reason, he has no idea why, that Japanese had withdrawn their troops. No one could understand it. They were safe. Jesus promises to nourish us, to provide for us, to keep us safe. And He is the everlasting Father. He's in our past, He's in our future, and He's with us right now. And He just asks us to trust Him. Jesus declared, John chapter 6, 35 and 58, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus is the everlasting Father. He nourishes us, provides for us, and rescues us. He makes the incredible, giant, too big for us to comprehend God into something we can recognize and know and understand. He came to earth and became like us so that we could become like him. He showed us how to live depending completely on the Holy Spirit and entrusting himself completely to God. And to prove it was all true, God raised him from the dead to show us that there is life after death and there is an eternal life for those who believe. There's another way that he tells us we can understand him. That's through communion. Every week when we gather together, we participate in communion to remember the sacrifice Jesus made for us. And this is another way that he makes himself small enough to understand. It's another way that he uses something we're familiar with, eating and drinking, to help us understand the spiritual reality that we eat and drink of Christ. And so Jesus, when he met with his disciples, he broke bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Every time you gather together, eat. And he took the cup and he said, this is the cup that was poured out for you, the blood of the new covenant. When you meet together, drink. And every time we eat this meal, and it's very small, small enough that we can hold it in our hands and understand it. And we eat that bread and we remember his body was broken on the cross. And we drink that cup and we remember his blood poured out of his body and spiritually it covers over all of our sins. Every time we eat and drink, we remember the sacrifice he made for us and we are strengthened spiritually and we are nourished spiritually. And we're reminded that he came back from the dead And he will come back to get us again. Where we will be forever nourished because wherever we go into the future, he will be there with us. Allow me to pray for our communion time. God, I thank you for this response you have given us to respond with eating and drinking. A memorial, a remembrance of your sacrifice for us. But Lord, it is so much more. It reminds us that you were there in the past And you will be there in the future. And Lord, as we taste that bread on our tongue and we taste that cup on our lips, we're reminded that you are here in our presence. 
Lord, help us to entrust ourselves to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, I ask that you would pray and consider partnering with us financially so that we could continue to minister here in our community and beyond. Visit us online at wcconline.org backslash donate to find out how you can be a part of what God is doing here. Thank you again for joining us, and I hope to see you back here next time.